0: It's Essential Pittsburgh. I'm Paul Guggenheimer. It's now been over 24 hours since Democrats in the U.S. House began their sit-in at the Capitol. They're calling for votes on gun control, despite the fact that in the middle of the night, the GOP defied the protest to pass a Zika funding bill and then adjourn for the July 4th recess. The sit-in began before noon yesterday when House Democrats took to the floor chanting, no bill, no break and waving posters with the names of victims of gun violence. The Democrats, including Pittsburgh Congressman Mike Doyle, vowed to allow no House business to happen until there were votes on two gun control measures.
1: I represent 750,000 people in, in the Pittsburgh region. They sent me down here to be their voice in the United States Congress, and yet I'm not being permitted to vote On a, a common sense bill that says if you're on the terrorist watch list and you can't fly an airplane, you can't buy a semi automatic assault weapon.
0: Congressman Mike Doyle. Meanwhile, House Speaker Paul Ryan quickly called the chamber into recess and turned off the video cameras on the House floor, saying that is standard practice during a recess. So now House Democrats are streaming live video of their sit-in via digital platforms. I'm joined now by political analyst Terry Madonna. He's director of the Center for Politics and Public Affairs at Franklin and Marshall College. He's with us by phone. Terry Madonna, welcome back to Essential Pittsburgh.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And you can join the conversation with a comment or question at 412-246-2002. That's 412-246-2002. Email is ESSPGH at WESA.FM and on Twitter at ESSPGH. Mike Doyle says he's trying to represent you. Is this how you wish to be represented? 412-246-2002, the number to call. Terry Madonna, this is not the first time that this has happened in the House. What other sit-ins have we seen?
1: Yeah. Well, actually, basically, it's taking over the floor as opposed to sitting on the floor, uh, which they literally were doing, as you know, taking over the floor. Here's what's sort of ironic. In 2008, the House Republicans took control of the floor during an entire recess, and they wanted the Democrats that were in control of the House Remember, that took place in 2006. The Democrats took control of the House, Mm -hmm. which they held until 2010. So the Republicans were in the minority. They took control, literally walked in and controlled the chamber until the Democratic leaders permitted a vote on an oil drilling bill, which they got. And then if you go back to 1995, the House Democrats, uh, hung out. That was the way it was put then. They hung out on the floor, uh, demanding a budget vote. So historically, you know, it, this is not unusual to have lawmakers try to, in a sense, take control of the chamber, trying to force a vote. Of course, if you go back far enough throughout American history, you'll find that there have been some fist fights and brawls on the floor, in 1856, a guy named Preston Brooks, who was a South Carolina lawmaker, uh, beat—literally beat—another lawmaker, uh, Charles Sumner, with a cane, and and knocked him unconscious. Another lawmaker back in the.
0: Oh no! <laughs> Looks like we might have lost uh, Terry there. We'll we'll get him back on the line. Uh, right in the middle of a story about one member of Congress beating another with a cane. That's, uh, and we really shouldn't laugh at that, but it's almost humorous to hear those kinds of stories. But, of course, back then, those two individuals were quite serious, and the results were quite serious, and uh, not the kind of decorum that anybody would encourage on the floor of the House. And we're guessing that the, it hasn't come to that. But it's interesting when Terry mentions that 2008 incident, because during that protest, then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi similarly to what Paul Ryan did, called a recess and shut off the camera. She did the same thing that Paul Ryan has just done. So it, it shows that it cuts both ways, that both uh, Democrats and Republicans are capable of uh, going to the extreme to trying to cut one or the other off. And one of the things we'll, we'll get into when we get Terry Madonna back on the line is, is that Paul Ryan has called this a publicity stunt and uh, questioned the sincerity, in essence, of some of the Democrats taking part in this. So we'll we'll find out what Terry's reaction is to that comment, whether it's a wise thing to say. And we'll also be hearing from Congressman John Lewis, who uh, is certainly seeming to be very passionate about this, led by... Georgia Congressman John Lewis. This uh, this sit-in has been taking place for the last twenty-four hours. We've got uh, Terry Madonna from Franklin and Marshall College, uh, Franklin and Marshall University, I should say, joining us to talk about it, and he's back on the line. Welcome back, Terry.
1: Hey, sorry about that. I'm sitting here. I don't know what happened. I but, think uh, I think I'm,
0: somebody in Congress might have just decided to cut you off. There,
1: there you go. There you go. <laughs> hey, I just want to add something about John R. Lewis, not to be confused with John L. Lewis. <laughs> he was this this guy was in some of the original lunch counter sit-ins and one very famous one in the 1960s back in Nashville. He, I think about every I'm I'm half being facetious uh, about this. I think he was arrested every other day for for his activities. You know, dealing basically with the civil rights to end segregation in the South. He was one of the original freedom fighters who went on that Washington to New, New Orleans trip to integrate public transportation, eventually becoming the chair of the Southern uh, of, of the Student Nonviolent violent Coordinating Committee. So you are you are, you are
0: correct, and let me let me jump in because uh, it just so happens, Terry, that uh, as I'm sure you know, Congressman Lewis uh, made a visit. To your university, just last right. month, and uh, or, or uh, and he spoke at the graduation ceremony, in fact. And so, um, so let's let's go back to let, let's listen to some comments that he made during an interview that I did with him during his appearance last month at Franklin and Marshall. And here's what he had to say: As you said, he John Lewis is one of the big six from the civil rights movement of the '60s and has stood up for what he believes in in the face of unspeakable violence. And when he gave the commencement address at Franklin and Marshall last month, here's what he had to say about what he went through in the early 60s. In
2: 1961, I was 21 years old, and a group of us, blacks and whites, left Washington, D.C. on May 4, 1961, to test a decision of the United States Supreme Court. Just think, in May of 1961, the same year that President Barack Obama was born, black people and white people couldn't be seated together on a Greyhound bus or a trailway bus, leaving Washington, D.C. to travel through Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama. We were on our way to New Orleans. And along the way, we were beaten. We were arrested. Left bloody. I would never forget my seatmate When we arrived in Rock Hill, South Carolina, about 30 miles from Charlotte, North Carolina, the two of us tried to enter a so-called white waiting room. Members of the Klan attacked us and left us lying in a pool of blood.
0: And that was Congressman John Lewis talking about what he faced in the 60s. He has stood up for what he believes in in the face of unspeakable violence. And when he gave the commencement address at Franklin and Marshall last month, uh, he he talked about some of this. And uh, Terry Madonna, Congressman Lewis does not seem like the type of guy to screw around. Should anyone be doubting his sincerity when he he, says that now is the time for Congress to take a stand on gun control?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's certainly not going to back down now. As you also, as you know, 247 trumps 188. You get my point. The Republicans have this used majority in Congress. They would vote down. I mean, look what the Senate did with four measures. This is not likely to result in a positive action. But here's the, here's the point I would make. Both parties have used the, the, the tactic in, a, in, you know, slightly different ways. Both parties have used the filibuster to get what they want. And it's ironic that each time one of the parties tries to get a vote, the other party, if they don't want it, will do what they have to do, adjourn, recess, get out of dodge, as they say. And it's, innate, it's part of the, of, of the way in which Congress functions. Add to that the filibuster, which in the Senate has been widely criticized, and where little reform has taken place over the years, and we have the perfect uh, mismatch, if you will, of what often the voters want compared to what Congress is doing.
0: 412-246-2002, if you'd like to join the conversation with our guest, Terry Madonna, who, again, is the director of the Center for Politics and Public Affairs at Franklin and Marshall College. Let's go to Stephen in Bethel Park with a comment. Stephen, welcome to Essential Pittsburgh.
3: Thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Um, the reason I'm calling is I I, I uh, just wanted to make a couple comments in regards to just the state of affairs recently. Um, I'm a teacher in the South Hills of Pittsburgh, and um, after Sandy Hook happened, you know, that affected us very closely. You know, dealing with children on a day to day basis the most you know precious vulnerable parts of our society and after the, that horrific event occurred you, know, every, you, you thought for sure that in the United States there would be an outcry uh, for some changes in regards to you know who has access to guns some mental health reform so my question is just an open question what it, what is it going to take in this in this country for something to change in regards to the policies, uh, in regards to guns, in regards to mental health specifically. When when something can't get passed, it's not even being considered. It's a, a common sense uh, piece of legislation for individuals who are on a terrorist watch list to not have access to automatic uh, guns. And I'm, I'm not completely anti-gun. It's just it's it's so beyond the realm of uh, the realm of of, of, of of sanity. It's completely completely uh, beyond me how how something like this can be considered. It's like we are so far off into space. And I wanted to just ask, you know, other callers or even you guys, what is it going to take for that to change in this country?
0: All right. How well- many people- well, Stephen, I'm, I'm sorry we don't mean to cut you off there, uh, but uh, we do get your point and uh, and can hear the frustration in your voice, and it's a frustration that a lot of people in Pennsylvania and throughout the country are feeling. So, Terry Madonna, it, it, it sounds yeah. like w- what we're seeing in Congress, and, and this not just in the House, but earlier this week in the Senate there was a filibuster, which did bring votes on four bills— uh, Correct and and all of them were voted down. So yeah, yeah. Uh, for someone like Stephen, what what is what I, what is there for him to hold out hope for? Yeah.
1: Well, I think what basically has to happen is. Well, let me just start out by saying something else. That in the polls that I've done for voters in our state, we're all Pennsylvanians. Eighty-eight percent of the voters of our state favor universal background checks, and. You know, the same for people who buy guns at gun shows and on the Internet. Now, you know, we do have a universal background check in our law, in our law, which was passed state law in 1995, signed by then Governor Tom Ridge. And uh, and I presume that a lot of your listeners don't know this, but was supported then by the National Rifle Association. The NRA actually supported universal background checks in Pennsylvania in 1995. Now. I think what, and, the, and by the way, on the mental health question, which I've asked in a, in a poll last year, same, the same, overwhelming support for it, uh, the same for more gun control laws. So the caller is certainly on to something. I think basically what has to happen is that, and we've had how many incidents now from Sandy Hook to Orlando and go back in time, and none of them seem to have brought about the kind of gun control that many of the advocates want. Again, not all of them are, are people who want to banish guns. You want to get rid of all handguns. The, the hunt, hunters, people who own guns in our state, support reasonable gun control. But let's take the one issue that the caller brought up on a terrorist watch list. The problem is in the implementation of it, I think. People cannot be assured that you won't be added to a no-fly list won't be added to a terrorist watch list. The mechanisms that put these together are very imprecise. And somehow we have to reach a compromise between banning, you know, getting rid of them, as the caller points out, and making sure that everyday average American citizens, for example, aren't don't end up on a no-fly list, in which it takes months to get alpha, of, even if you have nothing in your background that would indicate you should be on. And that's the kind of sensible policies that we ought to be looking at.
0: Terry Madonna is our guest here on Essential Pittsburgh. And uh, so, Terry, I I want to get into some of what the rules are here. This this, uh, sit-in at the House is continuing as we speak. Um, And there is a rule, as has been applied by the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, that says that when there is a recess, you shut off the cameras. But... The, de- the Democrats on the floor, as I mentioned at the outset, are using their own devices, their cell phones and uh, yeah. perhaps iPads. Yeah. I'm not sure what all is involved here, but they are <laughs> streaming live video of their sit in via digital platforms. Does this violate any rules? Are you allowed when the speaker turns off the cameras? Yeah,
1: he's not just yeah. saying not- I'm
0: trying to save electricity here. He's saying I, I don't no, no, we don't no. want to no. show what's going yeah. on.
1: In other words, C-SPAN, which is our source for information day-to-day, just like Pennsylvania Cable Network, you know, covers our state capital, that's our version of C-SPAN. They cut it off, C-SPAN wasn't allowed, but no, I don't think there's anything to prevent individual members from using their phones, from video and sending the videos out, doing Twitter, Facebook, and all the other ways that we now communicate with, and eventually, the, the House comes back on the 5th. They're going to have to deal with the question. Now, overnight, I guess there were—I uh, could be wrong. You'll correct me. The number I saw was 168 of 188 Democrats at one time or another were on the floor, and a couple of dozen senators were on, you know, not all together, but, you know, through intermittently throughout the day, and about two dozen stayed overnight. I think what's going to be interesting, and I haven't heard the latest on this, maybe you have, as to whether they stay there through, you know, just keep somebody there the entire time. Remember, we're talking about July 5th, July 5th, when they come back. So it's not like it's just three days. No, (laughs) we're talking
0: 10 days days from now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what happens when they come back? Uh, But as I said before, I, look. Without taking sides, because I think both parties have done this, I I think when you get an important subject like this, put it up for a vote. I mean, okay. I I understand why, on one hand, Ryan is saying, the Republican leaders, no, no vote, it didn't pass the Senate, it's not going to pass here, so why bring it up? But I think the voters ought to know on such an important issue where their lawmakers stand on the record, not just what they say. You're following me? Not just what they... Talk about in speeches,
0: but put put your vote where your opinion is.
1: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I and and I don't want to be naive. I mean, I've spent some time myself involved in the legislative process, so I don't want to be naive about it. But I think on these big important questions, get get the members on the record. And I'm not. I'm saying that to both parties. Again, both parties have done this to the other. You know, one party has done it to the other party. Uh, this isn't a Democratic-Republican thing. This happens to be the Republicans now doing it, but the Democrats have done it as well.
0: So just before we wrap this up, just to clarify uh, what the rules are, it, it it only requires, this sit-in only requires one person to remain at all times? Is
1: uh, well, remember, it's it's not a filibuster. A filibuster I'm sorry, I'm sorry in a sit-in. Sit in. You know, in the Senate, in the Senate, if you want to filibuster, one person holds the, can hold the floor. You follow me? Right, right. One person right. holds the floor, and they can get a break by saying, oh, they're entertaining a question from somebody else, and they know that somebody else is going to get on there and speak. I mean, uh, uh, Strong Thurman, uh, a Republican from South Carolina, holds the record on Speaking, he spoke for 24 hours and 18 minutes against the Civil Rights Act of 1957. Uh, and the fact of the matter is that lots of people have spoken for a fairly long period of time. They, they some read the Bible, some read, you name it. They can do, they can do almost anything uh, to keep, you know, control of the Senate uh, from doing its business or stop the, the Senate from doing it, its business. So uh, eventually they get broken. You know, there's a cloture vote. It takes 60 votes now to end debate. That's, and and by the way, there have been, by some counts in recent years, a hundred of these filibusters that last about five minutes and then they move on, not like some of the longer ones. And the final point I want to make is the grand political theater for this came from a movie Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, where Jimmy Stewart, who, by the way, was born not too far from where you're sitting in Indiana, PA, right. was a one-man filibuster in Frank Capra's movie, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I watch that, and I'm sure your listeners watch it all the time as well. Great great movie.
0: Well, every time something like this happens, we start to think of it. But, um, again, I, I, I want to make everybody clear about what the rules are. Somebody has to be on physically on the yeah. floor of the house. Just, but just one person at a time to keep to, to, to yeah, keep that's to keep well, it one going.
1: person yeah that's exactly right okay first of all filibusters can only occur in the senate this is a chamber rule the house doesn't do it and you know the filibuster goes back you know the word used in the 18 in the 1850s. so it does have a long long history
0: right. terry you i have I, to let me jump in go. well we're, we're running out of time i i get the filibuster right. just i'm just trying to clarify the sit-in one so it's one person yeah. at a time needs to be there well, physically the sit-in's
1: another matter the sit-ins another matter i mean they're just physically going there and sitting down there are no rules i don't know a rule that applies to that
0: okay <laughs> well
1: this it could be wrong but i don't know they just go and sit down or mill around or as i said they just go in and stay there and Maybe the leaders of the other party, the majority party, says, "Okay, we'll give you a vote." They can obviously hold up a lot if they just sit there and mill around, but they can stop a lot of business just by where they're sitting and how they do it. And we'll just have to wait to find out. Okay, when they come back on July five.
0: It'll be interesting. We'll be we'll be following along on C-SPAN and on social media. Political analyst Terry Madonna, director of the Center for Politics. And public affairs at Franklin and Marshall College. I think I slipped and said university earlier. It's Franklin and Marshall College. He joins us by phone. Terry Madonna, great thanks as always.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Coming up, a conversation with author and historian David McCullough about the city, his mentors, and why there's no such thing as a self made man. It's Essential Pittsburgh on 90.5 WESA.